When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. Good morning. Thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and happy Halloween tomorrow. I hope your October has been full of celebration and happiness. I'm wearing my Sanderson Sisters Brewing Company shirt to celebrate Halloween. I hope you're having fun celebrating too. Okay, let's get started. I wanted to give you guys an update on the story that pretty much has me losing hope for humanity because this tragic tell comes from Las Vegas, and it's worthy of a CSI episode for its outrageous nature, but... There is one thing that wouldn't make for a great CSI script. The two suspected killers videoed the whole thing. And it doesn't seem there will need to be much sleuthing to solve this crime because back on August 14th of this year, 64-year-old Andreas Probst was mowed down by a 2016 Hyundai Elantra. That Elantra was allegedly being driven by then 17-year-old Jesus Ayala. And 16-year-old Yasmir Keys was riding as his passenger and filming the entire hit and run. Okay, so let's back up. You have Andreas Probst on a bike. He's going to get 
hit by Jesus Ailea, who is driving that stolen 2016 Hyundai Elantra, and his passenger, 16-year-old Yasmir Keys, well, he's riding along, and he's filming the whole thing. And I have to say, allegedly, because the two have not been found guilty yet. And I rarely make statements like that. You guys probably aren't used to me clarifying so much, but I've watched the video of these two. The one that they shared with their friends, it's so damning. And I'm going to play the video for you since it's been released by authorities. But here's first how it plays out. The two allegedly went on a hit and run spree hitting two different people before taking out Andreas, or Andy, as everyone calls him. So just take a listen at this part of the video, and then I'll just explain later. You think this juvenile gonna do something? I'll be out like 30 days. I'm, I'm not scared. You are. A hundred percent. A grand jury indicting the teens for charges, including murder in the adult system. <laughs> bum, 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 the bum, first bum, hit bum. and run around five in the morning. <laughs> Police say Keys is the driver. The 72-year-old cyclist survived and testified in front of the grand jury he's left with a leg injury. These are photos of his mangled bicycle. He said he didn't know they were going to hit him or whether they were going to ask for directions. And, quote, then I remember rolling, end quote. I go. And in the video, which previously went viral, second hit and run with another car on the road, and the third, where police say Ayala is the driver and Keys is the passenger, 64-year-old Andy Probst appears to be intentionally hit. They already found the person who did it. <laughs> I got him in my car. Keep blaming me. I got him in my car. Only talking about, sir. It's all right. We got so much video surveillance, dude. You, you think I'm going to come out in the news? Huh? You think I'm going to come out on the news? You might. No, I'm not even playing out for real. It won't be for anything good. Huh? I said it won't be for anything good. It won't make your mama proud. All right. The video filmed at 630 in the morning shows the stolen Elantra in the right lane. Then, as Jesus comes up on a Toyota Corolla in the left lane, he bumps the white Toyota, spinning that car out. The two teens then continue down the road, and then not much further, but they have sped up, but not much further, they see a man wearing a red shirt riding a bike in the approved bike lane. Now, that cyclist, that's Andy, and the one teen encourages the other teen to hit the cyclist. They then plow into Andy, and Andy flies over the hood of the car and lands behind the stolen Hyundai. And the boys celebrate their accomplishment as the video camera spans behind them, and you can see Andy laying in the road. And then the video stops rolling. Now, this isn't all the two were involved in that morning. About an hour earlier, the roles were switched. Yasmir was driving, and Jesus was riding passenger and filming. And in that video, Yasmir rams another 72-year-old cyclist while it appears Jesus is encouraging him. Now in that video, Yasmir rams another 72-year-old cyclist while it appears Jesus is encouraging him saying, bump him, bump him. Now Jesus can also be heard mocking Yasmir saying, you're scared, kind of encouraging him and goading him along. Well, that man that they knocked down suffered a knee injury, but luckily survived the assault with the car. 
He later told ABC News that he knew he had been ran over on purpose. He said the car shifted lanes and got behind him because he was watching in his mounted bicycle rearview mirror. He said he even rode as close to the curb as possible, but the car still hit him. Okay, so let's recap. It's five to six in the morning, roughly about that time range, and the two teens are driving a stolen car. They hit the 72-year-old cyclist. Then they hit the white car, spinning it out. Then they hit Andy on his bike, killing him. Well, almost immediately, a 911 call comes in about Andy at 6.03 a.m. It's a woman who says she thinks a man was hit outside her apartment. She tells dispatch she thinks he's dead. Then at 6.05, Andy's Apple Watch calls 911 because the owner of the watch took a hard fall and he's not responding to the watch commands. Well, the watch then gives his address or his location of the fall. And more calls followed, but not just about Andy. At 6.13, a caller says they see a Hyundai speeding down the road on only three wheels. So I'm guessing the car by now has sustained significant damage, and the fourth wheel is not functioning properly. Now, the caller says the driver is operating the vehicle erratically, and that they nearly crashed in an intersection. Then at 6.17, a driver who's taking their children to school calls 911 to report that a vehicle has been abandoned with the engine still running. Now that caller says the windshield looks like they hit someone. Well, Jesus was arrested just a few hours later. And when cops were transporting him, he reportedly said, you think this juvenile crap, and I'm saying crap because I'm not going to swear because possibly kids are listening to this. So he says, you think this juvenile crap is going to do some crap? I'll be out in 30 days. I'll bet you. Well, cops responded to him saying he was most likely being treated as an adult, not a juvenile. Jesus then went on to say that hit and runs will get him less than 30 days in jail. Well, this was before cops even told him why they were arresting him. So he admits to a crime that hasn't even been explained to him yet. And Yasmir, well, he was arrested weeks later following a fight at school. See, the fight made it so he actually landed in the school's administration offices where questions began about his participation in an Instagram thread where he shared the video of the hit and run that killed Andy. Well, then during his time in the administration offices, he's handed over to the resource officer at his high school. There, Yasmir reportedly said, He knew the reason he was being interviewed was because he, quote, killed that guy on the bike. Now, both teens were in court last week for a preliminary hearing, and they both have been charged with murder by use of a deadly weapon, as well as battery with the use of a deadly weapon and attempted murder with the use of a deadly weapon. Jesus has some additional charges, though. He's charged with driving a stolen vehicle and with leaving the scene of a crash. Now, both are being held without bail, at least for now, That possibility of receiving bail will be revisited at the next hearing. And the two have severed their cases. And Jesus has not waived his right to a speedy trial as of now. And Yasmir has asked that his trial be extended. Well, while in the courtroom on Tuesday, a Fox News camera caught the two laughing with each other. At one point, they shielded their faces with their hands so that the camera could not see them communicating back and forth. But it does appear they're giggling with each other. Then as they were let out of the court, the pair smiled at the family and then reportedly flipped them off. This according to Andy's daughter. So here's what she had to say about that after the hearing. Her name's Taylor, and this is what she told reporters. 
These guys did not even respect the court whatsoever. They were just dicking around the whole time. She then said that they were flipping them off and she could not understand how they can take a man's life and then act like entitled punks. Now, Jesus's mother did speak after the bail hearing, saying that she didn't know why her son did this. She also lamented that she didn't know if God could forgive him. But Yasmir's mother, well, she took a different stance. She said her son's side of the story will be told, and she referred to the truth coming forward, not the inaccuracies that the media has portrayed. So let's learn about Andreas, or Andy, as his family so lovingly calls him. He was a former police chief for Bell, California. Andy had served there for more than 35 years, and his daughter called him a man of honor and integrity, who was a little league dad and an honorary member of Girl Scouts. His wife said in a statement, while wearing Andy's broken Apple watch, that they're beside themselves with the tragic loss of her husband and her children's father, and she called him one of a kind. She then said she is praying justice is served. Of course, I'll watch for the eventual trial or possibly plea deals in this case, and I'll let you know when I know. All right, now to an update about the abduction of an Arizona teen and how it seemed like we're looking at a Lori and Chad Daybell 2.0 version with a few tweaks and a little less bugs. But this one has a far better ending. Remember, Lori, she's the cult mom that was convicted of murdering her children, JJ and Tylee. And she was also convicted for conspiracy to commit murder for Chad's wife, Tammy. And Chad has yet to face those charges in a courtroom in Idaho. That will happen in 2024. Okay, this story all started in Gilbert, Arizona, and then eventually the Boise, Idaho area. So Spring and Ben Thibodeau are the parents to 23-year-old Abby Thibodeau Snar and 16-year-old Blaze Thibodeau. They also have three other adult kids. So there's five kids total. Ben and Spring are married to each other. And then you've got one kid under age, 16-year-old Blaze. And he's going to play a prominent role in this whole story. Okay, well, the marriage between Spring and Ben it's taking a drastic turn to the negative. Spring has become entrenched in what some would call a cult group, and she believes in the end of times preparation. And it's near 2015 at this time, and Spring has been reading end of the times prophecies, and eventually over time, she begins listening to end of times podcasts, and then she starts networking with others who share the same radical beliefs. Well, Spring has lived in the same geographical area as Lori Vallow Daybell's friend, Melanie, who some would consider a devout follower of Chad's until things started to go south for Chad and Tammy in 2019. Melanie also played a big role in the trial of Lori Vallow Daybell, if you followed that. Okay, well, Spring's personality started to change in those years from 2015 until last week. She was becoming more and more entangled in this group of people that follow those beliefs of Chad and Lori. And parts of her family were getting involved with her too. But there were parts that weren't getting involved. So we're seeing a lot of fracture between people. Spring's brother, Brooke, was joining her in the radicalization. And then eventually, Spring pulled her daughter into the circle of followers as well. So you've got Brooke, the brother, that's Spring's brother, and then you have Spring, the mother, to Abby, and they're all getting together. 
And the three had become so entrenched in the beliefs that they'd spend hours a day on the phone discussing world events and how the end of times prophecies were going to come forward. Well, as they began spiraling into this idea that they need to radically prepare for Christ's second coming, the marriage between Ben and Spring becomes very troubled. Ben had asked her to speak with her ecclesiastical leader about her newfound beliefs. And then after she spoke with him, the leader told her she needed to stop her activities or else her marriage would probably be over. Well, she didn't stop. In fact, she kind of ramped it up. And about a week and a half ago, divorce papers were filed for Ben and Spring. And maybe this was the catalyst for the upcoming events, or maybe Spring just understood that divorce filing was just another door opening of her beliefs that the end of times are very, very near. Well, early last week, Spring, according to News Nation, told her son Blaze that they were going to take a quick birthday trip and that it was a surprise. Basically, he knew they were headed somewhere, but that was it. Then the rest was going to be just a new and unknown adventure. But the other three players, Spring, Abby, and Brooke, they had other plans. Both Spring and Abby had purchased winter gear. Okay, remember it's Gilbert, Arizona. I have a son who lives in Gilbert, Arizona. His AC broke last week, and it was still so hot there that he had to sleep at his in-law's home until the unit could be repaired. So they're purchasing winter gear and survival items? Well, this is sending up red flags all over the place, especially for Abby's husband, Brayden. Now, he told East Idaho News that he was called home from work by his wife, Abby, for a supposed medical emergency. But when he arrived home, he saw that his ring doorbell had been disabled. And he said the house was a wreck with items strewn about. And this is throwing up red flags because, of course, he questioned her about it. And he's like, what's going on? And she told him that her... And her mother, Spring, and her brother, Blaze, were flying to Boise to meet her uncle, Brooke. She begged him to come. She said she even had purchased him a plane ticket. And then she dropped this bombshell. She said Blaze, the 16-year-old, was a chosen servant of God and that he would help usher in the second coming of Christ. Okay, remember, Blaze apparently doesn't know any of this. And this seems to be news to Braden as well. Now, when she told Brayden it was time to go, meaning time to leave all that you have known and move to the hills to usher in the second coming, he was torn. He told EIN that Abby was the love of his life, but that he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't go. He knew it wasn't right. He said Abby tried to convince him, and she even called her Uncle Brooke and had him speak with Brayden about prophecies. He even read scripture to Brayden, but that still didn't convince him. So he stays behind, and as Abby is traveling to the airport, she sent Braden one final text. It read, I love you. We will be back in a few years, and if you're still around, I'll come find you. Now, I don't think this is the way it went down with Blaze. He wasn't saying goodbye to close friends, and according to an interview with East Idaho News, Ben, his dad, says if they lured Blaze with a surprise trip, he would have thought it would be quick. Because Blaze plays football and he still has games left in the season. So Ben says there would be no way he would willingly go along for an extended trip. And News Nation reported on an email received by one of Ben's friends where he stated that Blaze had no idea his mother, sister, and uncle were going to do this. So Blaze, most likely unwillingly knowing, Abby, 
and Spring are all headed on a flight to Boise, where they meet up with Brooke. And surveillance footage shows an older model Lexus SUV driven by Brooke picking up the three at the airport. And then they're gone. They're gone for five days, just off the grid. And back home in Gilbert, Ben works quickly to get authorities involved after Braden had called him at work and informed him that the three had just boarded a plane. Well, within one day, a judge had issued an emergency order demanding Blaze be returned immediately since he is technically a minor and he is technically in sole custody of Ben. And if you'll remember, this is very similar to the same order that brought Lori Vallow Daybell down and broke the entire case wide open, eventually finding the decomposing bodies of Tylee and JJ. Well, Ben told the courts how worried he was that Brooke, the uncle, could become aggressive if Blaze didn't comply with their end of times plan. But tracking the group could prove a little difficult. Both Abby and Spring had cash on hand and several thousand dollars. And once they landed in Boise, the wilderness in the north is almost endless, especially if they were able to cross into Canada. And I feel like I kind of want to insert something here. I looked back at Ben's TikTok. It doesn't have a ton of posts on it, but he did post one about four days ago. And then there's some others. And reviewing them all, I just want to say... Ben doesn't seem like an up-and-coming prophet. He looks like a 16-year-old kid. He has rap music playing on most of his TikTok videos, which is totally fine. But it's not very spiritual, is what I would say. And he does post a couple of TikToks that show him in a church, a a Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints bathroom, to be accurate. But that's about it. So I'm not sure what kind of dreams and vision Abby and his mom were having, but they seem to think he's going to turn into a prophet. And I'm not getting that vibe at all from his TikTok. He's just a regular kid. And we haven't talked much about Brooke. Okay, apparently, before meeting the three in Boise, Brooke left a two and a half page last will and testament letter to his kids. He then withdrew around $50,000 in cash. And in the letter, he divided up his assets amongst his kids, and he wrote about his beliefs and faith in Jesus Christ. Well, of course, authorities are watching all of the debit and credit card activity of all four of them, but the cash seems to be sustaining the group. And here is where the social media campaign kicked in. And I'm very proud of this part of the Rise in Crime community and other crime followers who follow the responsible track of, if you see something, say something. But if we don't know what to look for, if the victim's stories aren't told, we can't say something. And that's where you guys come in. Your part is so very important. Well, it took far too long for the people to become aware of the innocent victims of JJ and Tylee in the Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell cult murders. And that shouldn't have been repeated in this case with Blaze. So good job, you guys, and good job, everybody else, for making sure that Blaze, as a missing person, that his story got out there and that it was told. And here's the good news. Late Friday, U.S. Customs and Border Protection detained the four at the Alcom Port of Entry. Okay, that's on the east side of Alaska, where Canada and Alaska meet. And both Brooke and Spring were arrested, and they're being held in Alaska awaiting extradition. Well, at the time of the recording, there's not been an update to the welfare of Blaze, but it does appear that he is okay. And it was believed, but not confirmed, that the four, in the Lexus, had crossed over the Canadian border. 
Had they chosen to remain in Canada, there would have been limitless wilderness area for the four to remain hidden. Remember, they've got cold weather gear with them. They could have gotten through like different off-road sites in that SUV because it had bigger tires on it. So I'm not sure why they traveled on to Alaska, but they did. And I looked it up. It seems the drive from Boise to Alaska would have taken them about 40-ish hours nonstop. Okay, this story caused lots of internet speculation that the strange beliefs of Lori and Chad Daybell, that they're still prevalent in many communities. But thankfully, Blaze and Abby are safe, but the damage has still been caused to an entire family. And I'm going to throw one more thing in here. I really hope having a second story come out. So we've got Lori and Chad, they're the first story. Then having this second story come out will make people far more aware of this cult-like community that is still simmering in the background. And a quick update to end this episode. Judge John Judge has given the green light to cameras in the courtroom in the quadruple murder trial for Brian Koberger. Okay, remember, Koberger is accused of killing four College of Idaho students in November of 2022. Maddie Mogan, Ethan Chopin, Zana Kernodal, and Kaylee Gonsalves were brutally murdered in the girls' off-campus home in Moscow, Idaho. And he was arrested in Pennsylvania about a month and a half later after the killings. Well, according to the Idaho Statesman, Judge Judge said the following, I'm not going to ban cameras in the courtroom, but I need more control over what cameras are doing and what media is doing with the filming. I know I can control only so much, and that is why I continue to urge people to be patient and have some dignity and some restraint. He then followed that up with a warning that he doesn't want the media coverage to tilt one way or another, that he doesn't want the case tried in the media. He also worries the coverage will get out of control. So it appears the middle ground will be that cameras might be placed at the back of the courtroom with a wide angle shot. And that way, items in the courtroom that are sensitive to viewers can be protected. But, and there's a big but here, this ruling doesn't assure that cameras will absolutely stay. Judge Judge said he will pull them if the judicial process is not protected. Also, in the same hearing, Judge Judge also denied the defense's motion to throw out the grand jury indictment. Now, the defense had contended that the grand jury had been given an error in instructions. The defense said the instructions should have been phrased beyond a reasonable doubt when it came to burden of proof. But instead, the jury was instructed to look for probable cause, And the defense said that was not the standard in Idaho. Well, the judge didn't completely dismiss the defense's contention. He said this wording would be a matter for the Idaho Supreme Court to decide. So that's where that part stands. We'll see if the defense eventually brings that up with the Idaho Supreme Court. And for now, there's cameras in the courtroom. And you know, I'll keep bringing you updates on this case. As they happen, this case will be tried in 2024. All right, that's your Monday episode of Rise in Crime. For all those who came to the Murder With My Husband live show last week, a big thank you. The audience was amazing and so kind. And remember, you can hear that episode on Patreon. 
on Murder With My Husband. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you also get Rise in Crime and Binged included in that. And for those who were there, thanks for saying hi. And more importantly, thanks for loving my kids. We need more of that in this world. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up. And if you haven't rated the podcast yet, five stars would be beyond wonderful. Join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules. Happy Halloween and keep safe out there.